The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. We have had all sorts of interesting graduations in the summer of 2020. There have been graduations on Zoom and graduations at a distance. So my graduation four days ago is maybe not that unusual, except it is. I graduated as an official certified yoga teacher at age 70, having been around yoga for the past 52 years. So in the spirit of it's about time... (laughs) I just want to share with you, it's never too late to learn. If something fascinates you when you're 17, chances are it's going to fascinate you when you're 70. And being immersed in the teachings of yoga and ahimsa and peace to all beings for four months was one of the most remarkable experiences of my life and has helped me so much during this time when we're all a little bit closer to home and less connected than maybe we would like to be. Hi, everybody. I'm Victoria Moran, the host of the Main Street Vegan Program. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. After the break, we'll be speaking with Gwenna Hunter. She is an activist, activist, the founder of Vegans of L.A., the founder of Vegans for Black Lives Matter. That is going to be so inspirational And right now, I'm just tickled pink to be introducing you to somebody that I have known for a very long time and admired for every minute of that time. And she is Sherry Saria. I think of her as the godmother of raw food, and I guess she is known as the mother of gourmet raw living food. Sherry is the author of several books, including Raw Food for Dummies and The Raw Revolution Diet. She founded the Living Light Culinary Institute in 1998 and has trained many of the world's top raw vegan chefs from over 65 countries. Now retired and 73 years young, like really, really young, 
Sherry is a competitive ultra trail runner, inspiring and motivating women to make health and fitness a way of life, no matter what the age. Welcome, Sherry Soria. Thank you, Victoria. It's so nice to be here. It's just lovely to be speaking with you. And one of the wonders of this age that we live in is that you're in Costa Rica and I'm in New York City and Jeff, our engineer, is in Missouri. And here we meet. So Isn't this life is grand. <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, in most ways, it truly is. So, Sherry, something that I remember your saying a long time ago was that people always tell you that you're just aging so much more slowly than other members of your extended family. And you said, oh, no, I'm not. They're just aging quickly. So can you talk with us a little bit about that? What does that mean? Well, I don't think that I'm, I'm aging any, you know, faster than the normal person necessarily. I mean, not faster, but it's more slowly than the normal person. I think that people are aging prematurely, and that's because they're not putting the right fuel in their bodies and they're not getting the right exercise, um, which is just about any kind of exercise really is better than no exercise. Um, they may be too stressed, so they're, you know, they're not sleeping well, and uh, they're just burning the candle at both ends. Um, and I think a lot of people also are not living their purpose, so they're unhappy with their lives. And all of those things are very aging. These days, you know, we have so many, so many things that we think make life easier for us. You know, fast food restaurants, and so you don't have to make your own meals. But that means that people aren't putting love into their food. And I think that's an important key, key component as well that makes me different from maybe a lot of people. I really enjoy making nutritious, delicious food. And, um, and I think that that goes into your body and is healing and, you know, just keeps you younger. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not about anti-aging. I don't think that I'm not aging. I just think that I'm aging in a natural way. Does that make well, sense? It, it does make sense. And I also love, I'm looking at the form that you sent me and, and you're talking about this incredible uh, running that you do now. You say, I started running when I was 65 and I started aerial yoga at 65. So I think for anybody listening who's kind of in their 40s or 50s and thinking, oh my gosh, this is it's not going in the right direction. So much can happen in your magnificent future. So, Sherry, let's start with your magnificent past. So let's start with, with how you became vegetarian and vegan and raw and bring us up to date. Well, unlike other members of my family, um, I really started to think about what I was eating and how it impacted my body when I was, a, when I was pretty young. Um, I lost my mother when I was only four years old. Uh, she was in her early 20s. Um, I lost my sister when I was 12 and she was 10 to kidney disease. And most of the people in my family had problems with, uh, with their health, either um, obesity, that's a problem in many families, of course, cancer, diabetes, um, one thing or another. And it really frightened me. I, I didn't really, especially I had a cousin who had diabetes and they started to remove his limbs in a desperate effort to save his life. And he was my cousin. He wasn't that much older than I was. It really did frighten me. 
And uh, fortunately, I started to read a few books that made me think that perhaps there was a connection between what we ate and our health. So I, I started to change my diet. I first cut out meat, and then after a while, I cut out dairy products and eggs. And then I started to continue to read more and more about health. Um, I started to cut back on using oils. And then I went to the Ann Wigmar Institute and learned about raw foods for healing. And at that time, um, the clinics, her clinics and other raw food clinics were just all about um, cleansing. And they really didn't teach people how to make food healthy and delicious, um, just healthy, but not on a daily basis. It was more about healing disease. And so I recognized right away that there was a need for that. And I had, I had always had a, a a knack for cooking. I actually won a cooking contest when I was 12 years old, and I, I loved to cook, and I loved to make people happy. <laughs> and if you make delicious food, you make people happy. So I started playing with the idea of preparing raw foods, raw vegan foods, that were actually delicious, not just healing, but delicious. And people liked it. So I started teaching, and um, I was... Uh, I was encouraged to start a school for chefs, which I did, um, Living Light Culinary Institute, as you mentioned. And um, I had it for about 20 years. And yeah, people came from over 65 different countries. I taught them how to teach because I knew that just teaching people how to make food wasn't how to make food for themselves wasn't going to be enough. I wanted people, I wanted an army of teachers out there um, teaching other people so that you know, I wasn't going to be around forever. I knew that. And so that's what happened. After 20 years, I decided, okay, now I can turn this over to people who, you know, who can not only keep it going, but take it to new heights. And so Aww. that's what I did. And and you did such a beautiful job. I, I was out there once uh, in, in Northern California at Living Light. And in addition to the school, I mean, you, you know, you had lodgings and, and you had this wonderful shop. It was a culinary shop like a Williams-Sonoma or one of those, except everything there was specifically for use in a super healthy and raw kitchen. So it was just like well, it was like a piece of heaven. So <laughs> you you created something so magnificent as you continue to create your own amazing life. So I, I just want to ask, why raw? Was it just because that was what you were introduced to or you looked at all the various alternatives out there and that one seemed like the best? Well, as I said, I continued to read about health and um, I read some stories about <clears throat> Dr. Ann Wigmore and the healing that she was doing. So I went to her clinic in Puerto Rico just because I wanted to see for myself what what raw food was all about. And I saw some miraculous healing. I mean, I saw people who went in there who had to be carried in. Their doctors had given them a, basically a death sentence, you know, said that you could go home and put your affairs in order. There's nothing else we can do for you. And And I saw people there that had to fight with their their relatives because their relatives wanted them to go on chemotherapy, but they wanted to try something alternative. And they believed that getting rid of all the crap that was in their house, all the, not just, I'm not just saying cooked food is crap because I eat cooked food, but all of the processed food, all the 
food that was doing harm to them, if they could get rid of that, and at least for a period of time just eat pure food that was unadulterated completely and not even cooked, that maybe they could heal and or at least, you know, get past that point where um, their bodies would start to heal. And sure enough, within very short time, sometimes only weeks, these people who had been carried in were literally walking up the stairs and, and jogging on the beach. It was so amazing to me that I decided I was, that was all I was going to do from now on. So I was going to teach people how to really get healthy on raw foods. But in order to do that, I knew it had to taste great because mm-hmm. people will, will not eat food that tastes bad. And I, I don't blame them. I'm a foodie. I like food that tastes great. And, uh, and so that's when I started spending my time really focused on, on preparing raw food. And um, Dr. Ann Wigmore would come down at night, and she would see me in the kitchen uh, trying out new recipes. And she said, you will be a beacon of light for my teachings. And oh. that's how I got the name Living Light, from Living Food and Beacon of Light. Oh, what, what a blessing that you were given by a legend in, in the healing movement. Yes, I, I, I did feel blessed that she believed in me in that way because um, she ate so simply herself. I mean, she just basically ate blended soups, <laughs> you know, hardly ever chewing anything. But, um, and, but I knew that that was not going to hold up for most people. In fact, right. many people would come to the clinic, they'd get well, then they'd go home, and six months later they'd be back again because right. they just didn't know how to do it themselves and how to make it taste good. And yeah. their families couldn't support it either because their families didn't want to eat that way. Right. So for people who are unfamiliar with raw food, could you just describe what gourmet raw food is and just take us through a a hypothetical day, three meals of somebody eating raw? Well, I don't eat raw food all the time. I mean, I teach people how, how to make gourmet raw food, but I do eat some cooked food and, um, and I don't eat a lot of desserts or sweets, whereas at the school, we always taught people how to make wonderful things like cheesecake and, you know, all the kinds of wonderful desserts that would win people over in a heartbeat. I don't really eat that way myself. <laughs> I mean, I created the, the gourmet movement so that I could win people over and let them see that they don't have to give up anything. But after a while, you just begin to want to eat a little bit more simply and you don't really need to have that kind of food all the time. Um, but I, I, do you want me to tell you what I would eat if I were eating all raw food or what I really eat during the day? Well, why don't you tell us both? Okay. Well, because of the fact that I'm training for a 50-kilometer race, 50 kilometers, by the way, is about 31 miles. Um, I'm training for that right now, um, which is going to be in about five weeks. I'm eating a little bit more calories than I normally would, and I'm adding a little bit more protein to my diet because I'm training so hard that I need to be able to recuperate quickly. Um, so, but I but I can tell you what I eat all the time as well as what I'm adding. So, okay. Um, so I start out my morning with 16 ounces of warm lemon juice just to get everything cleaned out, any kind of mucus or anything. Just, you know, it's really good for you to have that warm, um, acidic first cup in the morning. So let's then, just, just to be clear, it's 16 ounces of water 
with lemon juice in it. It's not pure Correct. lemon juice. Y oh my you know, gosh, yes. you got to be. <laughs> yes. yes, actually, it's it's one lime or half a lemon. Okay. And 16 ounces of warm water. Okay. And then about 15 or 20 minutes later, I have um, anywhere from 10 to 16 ounces of pure celery juice. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something that I've only started doing about the last, uh, I guess, 18 months after mm -hmm. reading the medical medium book. Yes. Um, and I, at first I didn't like it very much, but now I'm totally addicted to it. That is mm -hmm. my morning drink <laughs> and I love it. And so, uh, when I, after I have my lemon juice, I, that's what I do. I make celery juice for myself and my husband. Um, we do, he eats the same way I do. Um, and then after we go for our run, we will have a big smoothie. Now our morning smoothie has all the colors of the rainbow in fruits. So we have pitaya, which is a kind of purple red or and or other kinds of or different kinds of berries like blueberries and strawberries and different reds and purples. Um, and then we also have um, papaya and or mango and bananas. So we really try to get a spectrum of different colors so that we have a lot of phytonutrients. Different phytonutrients are kind of represented in different colors. And, and lots of different greens, all different kinds of leafy greens in there. And, we, and instead of using water or orange juice or apple juice to um, liquefy the drink, uh, we use green juice. Now, green juice is something that I make every day right after I finish making the celery juice before we go for our run. And the, my green juice has all different kinds of, of greens, leafy greens like dandelion and spinach and kale and parsley and cilantro, um, whatever the freshest greens are, I buy, I buy at the farmer's market. Um, some of those I also, we also put in the smoothie. So there's the fiber from the greens and then there's also the juice from the green juice. Along with that in my green juice is, is um, celery leaf because here our celery has a lot of leafy matter. So I cut the leaves off and I put that in the green juice. Um, and um, also, cucumber and an orange and a lime to just break down the, the bitterness of the greens. The orange and the lime help to cut that. Um, so that's our green juice. And usually we'll drink that later in the afternoon, but I would say about 12 ounces of it goes into our smoothie and 16 ounces of it each goes into our, our bellies in the afternoon. That's kind of our pick-me-up in the afternoon. Then, um, so that's our morning until about 11 o'clock. I will say that we get up really, really early in the morning because here in Costa Rica, it's so hot um, once the sun comes up that you want to start your run before the sun is really up in the sky. So we're usually, by the time we finish our juicing um, and we sit and have a cup of green tea, I forgot to mention that um, we have a cup of green tea, um, and then we go, we go for our run, usually around 6 o'clock in the morning. Because we get up at 3.30 or 4. I know that sounds crazy. But we go to bed really early. <laughs> so, um, so then by 11 o'clock, we're famished. Because we've been for a run. And our run is anywhere from, uh, there's a short run, five and a half miles. That's a, a nice little um, trail run that we have locally right outside of our house here. Um, up until maybe 20 miles, which we'll usually do on a Sunday. So 
we're pretty hungry by 11 o'clock. And that's when we'll have um, our first meal that is partially cooked and partially raw. Now, if I were eating all raw and I wasn't training hard and trying to get more calories in, I would probably have a big full meal salad. And um, maybe it would have some something cooked like some steamed quinoa or steamed potatoes in it. But it also would have a lot of sprouts because I love to do sprouting and I grow microgreens. Um, for example, right now I have sprouting, I have um, broccoli and a mixture of, of um, different kinds of lettuces and I have kale. These are all separate. I have some arugula microgreens, some pea shoots. I have going wheatgrass because we like to have a little wheatgrass cocktail right now, especially while we're training. Um, I have several different kinds. I can't even think of all the different kinds of sprouts and microgreens that I have going all the time. I have beets. I love beet microgreens. And sometimes when we're training, which right now we are, we'll have a beet, carrot, and apple with ginger lime um, for our after-run um, elixir just before we have our smoothie. Our smoothie comes usually after our run. And then by 11 o'clock, we're ready to eat. I know that sounds like a lot of food. And I, we do eat a lot right now because we are training. We burn a lot of calories. Um, and so right now, besides having something yummy and raw, like a raw quinoa salad, we might have something else like, some, like a bean soup, uh, black bean soup. I make all my own. I make beans from scratch and even... Um, they're fresh, and so they have little sprouts on them already when I buy them, which is wonderful. Here in Costa Rica, it's amazing what we can get at our farmer's market. And if they don't have them, I will sprout them myself and cook them in an Instapot so they're very easy to digest. Um, and then in the afternoon, we'll sometimes have, uh, especially right now while we're training, a little snack of some kind. Um, and it could be anything. It could be an oat cake that I make in my dehydrator or um, today we're actually going to have a little uh, black bean, blended black bean soup and just as a snack, usually around 2 o'clock. And then in the evening, it's dinner time and it could be the same basic thing that we had at lunch really. It could be um, salads, uh, it could be a soup, it could be um, baked potato with avocado and a ton of sprouts. So it, usually our evening meal is fairly simple because um, I, we go to bed early and I want to be able to have digested my food really well so that we can sleep well. And I like to get set a good seven hours sleep. That's, that's important to me now. Yeah. I just not sleep as much because I was working all the time and I thought, oh, I can get away without as much sleep. But, and, I, and I could. But as I get older, I feel like that's, I don't need to do that anymore. It's not wise. And, um, and so we go to bed early and we get up early. <laughs> Healthy, wealthy, and wise. So I, I <laughs> one quick food question because I do want to hear about all this running that you're doing. So you talked about a raw quinoa salad. Does that mean you sprout the quinoa or do you mean a big raw salad and you put some cooked quinoa in it? I could do it either way, but, you know, I really enjoy it more if the quinoa is steamed and then everything else in there is raw. 
Okay, cool. So everything is fresh. So the quinoa is, is I may, I'll make a big batch of quinoa and keep it in the fridge and so it's chilled. And then I can just add all kinds of fresh ingredients. I add a ton of parsley. Parsley is so high in vitamin C. And so I add almost as much minced parsley as quinoa. And sometimes mint and tomatoes and celery, all kinds of really, uh, you know, a lot of fresh vegetables. So it's really as much fresh vegetables as it is quinoa. Oh, it sounds quinoa, amazing. I love quinoa. Yeah. Well, and you're down there in uh, quinoa country. So um, I want to ask about the running. We're down to our last three minutes. But you, you do ultra trail running. What's that? Well, ultra running is anything that is more than five miles longer than a regular marathon. And regular marathons are done on roads, whereas ultra running is done in all different kinds of topography. So you're climbing mountains, you're crossing rivers, you're running in mud, you're running on boulders, you're running where there are obstacles, um, you're running in nature. You're never running on a road. I mean, sometimes you are if, if the course is really long and you have to cut across a road or run down a road a little ways, but it's much more challenging because it's trail running. And um, I, we've run in a lot of different places. We've run in the Alps and then um, Bhutan. Up, we ran up to 15,000 feet. Um, you know, we just love the adventure of it where you have to camp. You have to run all day and you camp at night and then you run all day and you camp at night in different locations every time. And it's, I just, I love it. And it's such a challenge. I love having to challenge myself. And that's why I'm training for a race all the time. Because if I do that, then I, you know, I get up in the morning and I have a purpose. Yeah. Now, you said when you started at 65 that, that you and, and Dan, your husband, both had some knee problems. But you kept running. Most people would say, oh, I tried running, but my knees didn't like that. So what gave you the, the courage to, to keep at it? Well, I just felt that the reason that we had knee problems was because our legs weren't strong enough to really support what we were doing. And so we bought good shoes and we saw a physical therapist and an acupuncturist and they supported us. And we just believed that we would get better. And then especially when we started running on trails, because with trails, even though it's challenging, the earth is softer than concrete. And so there wasn't as much jarring as, you know, as there is when you're running on, on a road. And, um, and, then, and also, your ankles are constantly moving in different directions, and your ankles get stronger, your knees get stronger, your glutes get stronger. And after a while, we just didn't have knee problems anymore. Sherry Saria, you are an inspiration with, with a capital N. Um, when, when you turned 73 in May, you ran 73 kilometers. How many people can say that? That's 45 miles, by the way. I, I, I am in awe and just really consider you a fabulous mentor and a wonderful sister. So everybody, find this amazing woman. Uh, she's got her public figure page on Facebook, Sherry Saria, C-H-E-R-I-E. The book is Raw Food for Dummies, and we'll put everything in the show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. So stay with us. We'll be back with Gwenna Hunter and Vegans for Black Lives Matter.
All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. I think of all the vegan podcasts that you listen to, we may be the only one that's live first. Well, I guess you watch Facebook Live and all those kinds of live things. But in terms of just audio podcasts, live is a little bit different. And live happens when it happens. And so our next guest uh, had something come up, and she will join us later in this half hour. So I'm just going to make my announcements like I always do and then tell you some other cool stuff that's on my mind, and we will be joined by the guest whenever the universe opens up and makes that possible. So I told you that I just graduated as a yoga teacher. I'm so excited. Uh, But I have taken courses previously in the wonderful ancient Hindu science, ancient Indian science of Ayurveda, which translates as the science of life. And it's a wonderful way to heal. And one of the coolest things about Ayurveda is their take on what happens as we grow older and how to work with that and do it really well. So I'm excited to be offering a weekend Zoom retreat, September 26th and 27th, called Acing Age with Ayurveda. So we're going to be doing all sorts of wonderful self-care things, learning a lot. I'll have two fabulous guest speakers, Richard Ram Masla of the Ayurveda Health Retreat in Alachua, Florida, and Dr. Sarah Kuchera, who is the author of the Ayurvedic Self-Care Handbook. And she's going to talk about the cycles of the day, the cycles of the year and the cycles of our lives. And when we cooperate with those, how much better we feel, how much more energy we have. This is going to be really, really fun. I hope you can join us. I'll put the information on MainStreetVegan.net. There's a slider right there on the homepage. You can also go directly to the Eventbrite for the Acing Age with Ayurveda retreat. If you go to tinyurl.com slash acing age retreat and because you are a main street vegan podcast listener um, you get a discount 20 percent. just put in the discount box pod for podcast all in capitals and you'll get that um, that discount so let's see what else is going on over at mainstreetvegan.net always lots and lots So Main Street Vegan Academy is training vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. We've been doing that since 2012, and we're doing it now. So MainStreetVegan.net, if you are interested in taking your vegan outreach to the professional level and getting yourself certified as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And we also have a blog every week. You can subscribe to that if you like. This week, ooh, it's good. And anybody who's listening because you're in Unity, and this is Unity Online Radio, you're going to love this post. It's called, You Are the Universe 
Y-O-U, <laughs> Nivers, by Greg Lawson. He's actually been a guest on this program. Uh, Greg Lawson is a Main Street Vegan certified coach, but he is also a retired parks ranger for the U.S. Park Services, and he has a wonderful sense of nature and physics. And in uh, recent years, he's studied quantum physics. And in his lovely post, he translates some of that so that regular folks, even people like me who didn't even take physics, <laughs> can understand. So do visit MainStreetVegan.net. Check out everything we have there. And I'm happy to see you on social media, uh, Main Street Vegan, just about everywhere you go. So now, until uh, Gwenna Hunter joins us, I just want to share with you some of the wonderful connections that I learned in, in my yoga training course with the, the ethics of veganism and the principles of yoga. And something that I just hold very dear to my heart is that these these truth principles, they're everywhere. They're in religions and philosophies and cultures. And wherever people really open their heart, somehow the great beneficence comes in to, to fill that, giving wonderful techniques for, for living well. So as you probably already know, vegetarianism is in, inherent in yoga teachings because in the ancient times when the great teachers were trying to figure out the perfect lifestyle for people who really wanted to grow spiritually, they looked at all the elements that could contribute to that, one being food. And they thought, if people are eating a lot of food that's really stimulating, so so we've got a lot of fried food and super spices and sugar and, and um, lots of caffeine, then they're going to be just going a mile a minute. And the idea of sitting quietly and meditating and getting to know the true self, well, that's going to run into a little bit of trouble. But on the other hand, what if you have people eating a lot of food that's kind of decomposing a lot of meat and alcohol and aged cheeses and, and things that have been left around for a long time, like in modern parlance, that would be stuff that's been in the freezer forever or things that have just been processed and processed and processed again, then those kinds of food make people sleepy and tired and not really interested in their personal growth or in promoting social justice or doing any of the other things that most of us find extremely important. But in the middle, these ancient yogis saw a category of foods that they called sattvic. And sattva means the, the mode of purity or goodness. And way back, four or 5,000 years ago, we're not sure how far back the oral teachings go, they were suggesting that people eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, that's beans, nuts and seeds. And they also included milk from healthy cows because maybe four or 5,000 years ago with a teeny tiny human population, there was a way to drink milk that was karma free. The baby could drink all he or she wanted and everybody's living happily ever after. I don't know about that. Maybe there never was a time that idyllic, but 
now certainly is not that time. So as a vegan, I would certainly take the milk part off that list of sattvic foods. However, isn't that close? I mean, think about how long ago that was and how near to what Sherry Saria just talked about, to what our wonderful plant-based physicians talk about all the time. And these teachings were ancient. True then, true now. So that was a wonderful thing to learn. And I also learned a little bit more about where ahimsa comes from. So ahimsa is a word that most vegans are familiar with, even though it's Sanskrit. Technically, it means non-killing, but it really means so much more. It means dynamic harmlessness. This is non-violence. And this means non-violence in thought, word, and deed to any being. And it's actually the first yama or the first moral precept of yoga that ahimsa comes before not stealing, before telling the truth, before being responsible sexually. It, it's the first thing that someone who is really serious about the spiritual life needs to come to grips with because we're just not going to make progress internally on the soul level if we can't first create peace around us, peace on earth, or at least peace close enough to us that it's going to ripple out and, and end up in peace on earth. So my commitment now that, that I am a yoga teacher, even though I'm not teaching. I, I used to teach before I was even certified. I taught in my building two mornings a week, but we're not doing that now because of COVID. And I think I'm not a good enough camera person to figure out how to teach on Zoom <laughs> yoga, where people are supposed to see you when you're standing up and lying down. That just seems like some sort of, of a cinematography 201. It's it's more more advanced than me. But knowing that this is now part of my identity and something that I really want to live up to, I just want to come into every day with ahimsa. And to really live that requires not just what I used to think. And I thought it's like, okay, I'm going to be vegan. That's good. I'm going to be as nice as I can be to people who don't irritate me too much. And I'm going to even be nice to people who irritate me until I just can't take it anymore. And what I'm learning now is no, you don't get credit for can't take it anymore. Somehow you've got to put practices into your life that mean that you're going to be practicing this kindness, this acceptance, this tolerance for all beings at all times, no matter what. Now, did I learn to do that in four months of yoga teacher training or 52 years of being um, at least um, peripherally around this? No, unfortunately, I can't say that I did. But what I can say like Louisa May Alcott's wonderful quote where she said, far away there on the horizon are our ultimate aspirations. And we may not reach them, but we can certainly try to follow where they lead. So that's what I'm looking at today. The idea of ahimsa and all the other moral precepts of yoga. And, and they're also 
kind of personal disciplines that are, are recommended. So one of those is cleanliness. Again, thought, word, and deed. And one of the things that one of my teachers said in, in this course was, if you sit down to meditate and you're just feeling antsy and you don't think you can meditate, then just go clean something. <laughs> I, to me, that is utterly brilliant because I'm not one of those people who is naturally organized. And the idea of creating order where there's a little pile of disorder, it's just a wonderful calming thing. It's a little bit like some of those other yoga practices like meditation and, and like controlled breathing. So that's where my mind has been for the past four months. And something that I carry with me now that I had heard prior to last May, but that I didn't have front of mind every single day, is that in my heart, there is this great power of the universe. And however you want to call that, God, goddess, inner light, the force from Star Wars, all great names. <laughs> That's your business, what you want to call it. But that within each of us, there is that. So regardless of, you know, how it goes and we get stressed and we get tired and something doesn't go right. Yeah, we're human. But in addition to human, we've also got this divine thing going on. And so does everybody else. That's what's so truly magical that in yoga, we're taught that it's not just in every human, but it's in every being. So a dog, a bird, a tree, this planet Earth, have their physical manifestation, all the things we know about them, everything we can describe. But in addition to what we can see and what we can measure, there is this divine spark. So connected with this yogically is this concept of, of prana and nurture. The teaching as I understand it is that the divine spark is there and we connect to it through the breath. And that the reason in English that the word inspiration means what we think it does, you know, oh my gosh, I read this book, I talked to this person, I'm so inspired. Well, another definition for inspiration simply means breathing. Curious, isn't it, that um, they're connected in that way. So when we breathe, when we sit down, when we settle, especially when we close our eyes and really make a point of, yeah, the world is going on around me and it's doing all the things that it's doing. It's sometimes more interestingly than others, but I can take time apart. I can sit and I can breathe. And when I do, I'm connecting with that highest and best that's in me. And you know how when something affects you one place, it affects you every place? That's exactly how this works. That you're breathing, you're calming your mind, this is lowering your blood pressure, this is opening your brain to inspiration, 
This is also healing your body. And as we were talking with Sherry about aging well, another thing that happens when you simply sit and breathe, you can have a mantra, you can have a phrase, or you can just watch your breath. And that's called meditation. And they've done studies. One that I absolutely love is that people who've meditated regularly for 12 years, I'm sorry, for five years or more, are 12 years younger physiologically. So let's just do a little uh, arithmetic um, exercise and subtract 12 years from our chronological age. Okay, I just did it. It's a lot. Was it a lot for you? I think so. 12 years, that's a big deal. And people who had meditated regularly. Now, they were looking at people who did transcendental meditation, which is 20 minutes twice a day. They were 12 years younger. Now, what were they measuring? They were looking at body mass index. They were looking at blood sugar levels, cholesterol, vision, hearing, joint flexibility, and all this stuff that we think goes south over time for people who had simply sat and brought their mind very gently back to a phrase, to a mantra for five years or longer, had youthened. They had actually done the Benjamin Button thing. This is really powerful, don't you think? It, it absolutely blows me away. And one of the other things that I really love about yoga, I discovered it as a, a young girl when you had to discover it. <laughs> there were three books on yoga in the Kansas City, Missouri Public Library, and I found them all at, at 17 and knew that this was something that, that was for me. And the books, if you're an old book buff, I'll, I'll name them for you. Um, Indra Devi wrote two of them, and she's an amazing story. If you like biographies, particularly biographies of kick-ass women who were before their time, who had never heard the phrase women's liberation, but they didn't need the phrase, they just took it. <laughs> Indra Devi is like that. And there's a fabulous biography of her that's called Goddess Pose. Uh, I, I can't come up with the author's name, but you'll find it, Goddess Pose, fabulous book. But the books by Indra Devi that I discovered as a kid uh, were Yoga for Americans and Forever Young, Forever Healthy. And after that, I found a book called Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation. So those were the three <laughs> yoga books that were available to me at that time. Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation was written by... Um, a fellow named Jess Stern, who was a, a journalist, and he went to Boston and moved in with a family, uh, the mother of whom was a yoga teacher who had studied in India and studied with a, a prominent yogi of that era named Vishnu Devananda. And, and he shared his his changes and what happened to him over three weeks of intense daily instruction so those three books launched me, and I moved to England shortly uh, after my 18th birthday and found an actual yoga teacher, Stella Churfas. 
she was on the program. If you're somebody who likes digging in the archives and finding cool stuff, um, just do Stella. Go to Main Street Vegan Podcast. They're on Unity Online Radio or um, on iTunes or wherever you listen. And, and just put in the, the keyword uh, Stella. And I, I think it'll pop up for you that way. Stella Churfas, C-H-E-R-F-A-S. She was my very first yoga teacher. And I thought I had lost her because this was London. And I was there until my visa ran out and came back to the States and wasn't able to make it back to London for, gosh, it was about 14 years. And when I went back, I tried to find her and I couldn't. And turns out she had moved to the continent for decades, but I did find her a couple of, of years ago in, in London, and she is now 94. She's still teaching. I went to one of her classes last year, and she introduced me and said to all, all of her students, this was her senior yoga class, and she said, this is Victoria. She studied with me 51 years ago. And one of the ladies in the front row turned around and just brightened up and looked at me and said, welcome back. <laughs> so I guess that's how it always is, isn't it? We're given sometimes these gifts when we're very young. Maybe it's a class you take in school or a book you read or something that just piques your interest. And then you kind of set it aside to go out and be practical and live life and do what you have to do. And when you can pick that stuff up later, it's very, very special. So I'm checking here with my wonderful um, engineer, and it just looks as if Gwenna Hunter is probably not going to be able to be with us today, but we will absolutely reschedule her. She is an amazing young woman, and as we talk about spirituality she is also a very, very spiritual person as well. And I think this is so important in activism. You know, we are all individuals and we are all entitled to be exactly who we are. And if you're somebody who's like, oh, spiritual, spiritual, it doesn't mean anything to me. I'm not in that place. I'm logical. I'm believing in what I believe and seeing what I see. Good. <laughs> it's great. We're not all alike and we don't have to be alike. But because this is Unity Online Radio and because I do find the spiritual stuff so fascinating, I'm really excited uh, that that's something that Gwenna Hunter shares. So when we reschedule her, we'll be sure to talk about that and about what she does as vegan food aid coordinator for vegan outreach and, and all about vegans of LA and her Facebook group, uh, Vegans for Black Lives Matter which, gosh, you could just join today if you feel like it. Just because she wasn't on the show doesn't mean that we can't uh, learn more about her great work. She's also one of the activists featured in a beautiful collection of essays called Voices for Animal Liberation. It's a brand new book just published this spring that looks at so many people who are really out there on the front lines trying to change the world for animals. Uh, one of the people, as I said, change the world for animals. That's a slogan of our hen house. Uh, Jasmine Singer, who's part of uh, our hen house, uh, is, is one of the people in, in the book Voices for Animal Liberation. And Ingrid Newkirk of PETA, who's been a guest on this program a couple of times, I 
fabulous guest and a fabulous person um, wrote the foreword for the book. So just in our last few minutes, I'm just going to close up with, I guess, the summary of what it meant for me uh, to go through this wonderful yoga teacher training. One thing I learned was that your brain does kind of slow down a tiny bit as you get older, even if you're healthy, but you can pick that thing up in no time when you really say, okay, brain, we have to learn stuff now. Because the most difficult thing that was presented to me in yoga class, I didn't mind that we had to read a whole bunch of books and that we had to show up for 200 hours and all, that was all fine. But they said, you have to memorize the chants. And these are about five minutes of chants in Sanskrit. Sanskrit is a beautiful language, but unlike one of the Romance languages or German that has something to do with English, <laughs> Sanskrit has nothing to do with English. And I thought, never, ever, ever am I going to learn five minutes of Sanskrit chants that don't even rhyme. There's like nothing to hold on to here. And yet, I did. And I am utterly amazed that by using a few wonderful um, memory tricks, <laughs> I, I memorized the mantras and, and just feel wonderful about that. And as I was doing it, I thought, yeah, you know, I, I like yoga but I'm just not the chanting type. You know, it's kind of not my culture. That's not really what I do. I'll learn these for the exam, but I don't think I'm ever going to chant them. But you know what? Since I learned them, I have been chanting them every morning. So there is something magical about learning. Even when you think you're not going to be able to apply it in your life, you will find a way because you learned it. And in learning something like this, you grow your brain and you grow your soul. So thank you for going on this little yoga journey with me. And we'll see where it leads. And I'm just going to hold you in the light that whatever adventurous journey you're on, even if it doesn't look like much of an adventure right now, it is going to lead to something magnificent. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.